Paul Bevan is the CEO and founder of Magic Valley, a biotech company in Australia, which hopes to bring their first cultivated meat product to commerciality by the end of 2024. This is likely to be a lamb product. Magic Valley uses no animal-derived product at all in production beyond the initial skin cells. Paul believes they can bring more end mass in a quicker time frame for a cheaper price. I'm Alex Crisp and this is the Future of Foods podcasts, interviewing the people impacting our food future. You can now watch the Future of Foods podcasts on YouTube. You just need to search Future of Foods interviews. Okay, well, thank you, Paul. Uh, Paul Bevan from Magic Valley. Uh, lovely to have you on the, the Future of Foods podcast. Um, could you uh, just start off by telling us a little bit about Magic Valley? Absolutely. Uh, pleasure to, to chat today, Alex. So, um, always love talking about Magic Valley. We're a cultivated meat startup um, based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and I guess for, for anyone that's not familiar with, with cultivated meat, um, it really is a um, ethical and sustainable solution for producing meat. So we start out by taking a skin sample um, from a living animal. We take those um, cells uh, into the lab, turn them into to stem cells, a particular type of stem cell that we use, which is called an induced pluripotent stem cell. And then from there, we're able to grow up basically the components of meat. So primarily muscle and fat. Um, we combine those together um, to create a real meat product. So not, not a plant-based substitute, um, but, but a real meat product. So molecularly identical. And you take the cells from uh, a lamb called Lucy. Yeah, so our first product that we developed was a, a lamb product. We would call it a, a meat meat product um, here in Australia. Many listeners will know that as ground meat. And yes, yeah, so Lucy provided our, our first sample of cells. Um, as a lamb, she's she's now not a lamb. She's a full-grown sheep and living out her her natural life uh, with her flock uh, in the paddock, um, which is great. Um, and yes, yeah, she provided our first cell. So yes, we created a, a lamb product first. We've also um, produced a pork product uh, earlier this year as well. So yeah, they're, they're the two products we've produced so far. And aside from that, you know, initial sample of cells. Um, our process is actually completely um, animal origin free. So we don't use uh, any animal products in the process at all. Um, some people or some listeners might be familiar with the term FBS or fetal bovine serum. Um, we don't use that. Um, we don't use any uh, products of animal origin at all. So aside from those initial skin samples, um, that's the only involvement from the animal. And as, as we've just mentioned, the animal goes on continuing to live its normal, happy and healthy life. So, uh, I mean, clearly you can't sort of tell me what's in it. Um for you know IP reasons, but um, w- would you say that your growth media is uh, um, is on a par with you know with the effectiveness of the FBS? I mean, you know, is it something that you're happy with, or are you still working on it? Hmm. Yeah, great, great question. So we're still refining um, the media that we use. Um, uh, I can't tell you exactly what's in it, as you mentioned, but they're all, they're all plant-based um, ingredients or synthetically derived ingredients as opposed to, to using um, animal products. Um, and for us, it was really uh, an, an ethical choice um, in terms of, you know, developing a cultivated meat product 
um, that has the potential to um, eliminate, I guess, the, the slaughter of animals for that process. So it didn't make any sense for us to be continuing to, you know, include um, products of animal origin that would include or involve um, animal slaughter. So it was really an ethical decision for us. There was also a number of um, commercial reasons, I guess, really not to use FBS as well. There's a lot of batch variability and it's very expensive. So at scale, it really is impossible to, to use it. And so um, we've, we've focused on that from the start using um, um, some substitutes in terms of the, the, the plant-based ingredients and the synthetically derived ingredients in the media. Um, we are very happy with, with where it's at. Um, the effectiveness um, is very similar uh, and the cost is actually far less. And so we're continuing to, to drive down the cost and enhance the effectiveness in terms of um, having the cells um, multiply uh, and expand, obviously, as, as quickly as, as possible and to produce as much mass as possible. Um, so that is a work in progress and that will continue to, to improve over time. But yes, to, to answer your question, we're very happy with where it's at at the moment. And we think that, you know, um, for, for any cultivated meat company to scale, they will need to you know, do away with FBS if they're currently using it um, and move across to um, you know, a media that is is, is um, containing no no animal products. So hopefully the entire industry will go that way. But we think we've got a little bit of a head start because that's where we started. So do you think it's um, that the uh, that um, producing um, a, an effective growth media is the is the kind of elixir, I suppose. You know, that's it's the thing that will determine success or failure in in the future of the industry or, or of um, individual companies? Um, I think it's part of it. I think the bigger um, the bigger component to that is using the right technology. And, and when I say the right technology, I'm really talking about um, cell type uh, and, the, and the type of stem cells that companies are using because all companies are using, you know, um, vastly different technology. And so, one of the main reasons that we use induced pluripotent stem cells um, is that the cells multiply more quickly uh, and they produce more mass. Um, they multiply indefinitely and we can direct them to become any cell or tissue type in the body. Now, obviously, we view that as the best way to, to move forward. Um, and that's the technology that we're using. And we're firmly of the belief that that is the only way um, to produce cultivated meat at scale. Obviously, there's other factors that come into it, like like the growth media, um, like the type of bioreactor um, that you choose to use as well, whether you choose to scale out that technology or scale up in terms of size. So I think there's a, there's a number of components, but really, um, I think the key one is the, is the cell type. Um, and obviously, companies are using a whole lot of different uh, cell types to, to get started with. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what eventuates. Okay. I mean, I suppose I, I want to avoid getting too sort of sciencey, just because I'm not a scientist. But I, uh, but I would, I would like to. Um, I don't know if you can explain a bit more about the cell type. Um, uh, you know, what's different about it? What's unique about these cells that you take? That you yeah. Take? So I guess. The yeah, for sure. So, so I guess the main difference between, say, an induced pluripotent stem cell um, that we use, uh, or, or or an adult stem cell that a lot of companies use. So, um, if you're using an adult stem cell, you might, for example, take a muscle biopsy, which is obviously um, a little bit more invasive than 
um, taking a, a skin scraping. Now, that from that muscle biopsy, um, you'll have an adult stem cell that you can grow up into muscle. Um, and that's one component of uh, a, a meat product, the, the end product. You know, that muscle can't be turned into fat. Um, you need to take a separate biopsy for, for fat um, to be able to do that. Um, so again, that's you know again more invasive for the animal. Um, and those adult stem cells um, are limited biologically by what's called the hay flick limit. So they've got around 50 doublings for those cells before they will basically die out and stop being able to, to multiply. And that's, that's a biological limit. And so you'll see a number of companies trying to uh, extend that, that, that lifespan um, of those, those adult stem cells, but that wouldn't occur naturally. And so some of those methods um, that are used to what's called immortalize those cells um, could be considered genetic modification, and, and some of them, some of them are. Um, and so we think the consumer would have a problem with a genetically modified end product. And so the cell type that we're using is not genetically modified. And so that's another advantage, I guess, over using the adult stem cell. And so if you're able to immortalize, um, what's called immortalize those those adult stem cells, so they keep multiplying. Um, you still have to take multiple biopsies for your muscle, for your fat, for the components that go into it. And you've got to grow those up separately, um, obviously. So um, they multiply slower and they don't produce as much mass. So obviously the longer the process, the more expensive it is as well in terms of a time frame. So again, in terms of um, scalability or commercialization, um, we view our technology as being much faster, much more efficient. Um, so basically we can produce more end mass uh, in a quicker time span for, for a cheaper price, which when we're talking about commercialising a food product, uh, we think has many advantages, as well as being um, non-GMO, you know, not using FBS or, or, or any animal components, which we think will be important to the end consumer as well, yeah. um, and being able to produce any cell or tissue type. So, you know, from that one sampling of skin cells, we can produce muscle, fat, bone, connective tissue, whatever we want to go into that final product. So we think they're the core differentiators between technologies, or at least adult stem cells and induced pluripotent stem cells. Mm. Um, you, you know, you would have heard, um, you know, one of the one of the companies that have been approved in the, the US, they discussed how they got their their initial cells from a chicken feather that had uh, fallen from the chicken. What do you what do you think about that? Is that possible? Is that um, is that a reality? I do believe that's possible. Um, yeah, my, my understanding is that, that it is possible. Um, I'm not sure how efficient that is, but I, 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 my understanding is it's definitely possible to do. So um, I don't think there's, there's any question uh, around that. Um, I guess some of the other approaches, you know, particularly when we're talking about chicken um, uh, and avian species is uh, the use of eggs as well or, or, or embryos. Um, and, and to us, like we're not working on chicken at the moment, um, but for, for us, we think that um, there might be some uh, potentially some ethical issues, I guess, around using embryos or you know, eggs or, or, or embryonic stem cells, which is, which is another option um, across all species. Um, it's just in terms of the ethical considerations when it comes to, to the end consumer. But um, a feather would certainly be very non-invasive. And I think, you know, I think that's probably a, a good way to, to go. Not that we've tried it, but I definitely believe that it's okay. definitely possible and a good approach. Yeah. Good, good. Okay, so um, Paul, how did you uh, how did you first get involved in this industry? How long you know where did it start for you? 
Yeah, so probably seriously about five years ago, which was when I got um, really interested in the, particularly the, the, the cultivated meat space. Um, my background, um, I think as a lot of people will, will know, um, if you've viewed any of my social media channels, um, is that um, I've been vegan for nearly 10 years now. Um, and so I was really interested, um, you know, obviously in, in veganism and, and plant-based um, uh, diets and, and lifestyle um, and the benefits of, of those. Um, and so I was also very much interested in uh, animal activism um, and, you know, how we, we treat animals in the, in the animal agriculture um industry and, and, and process. And so um, I was always interested in, you know, finding um, a, a way of minimising harm to, to animals as, as much as possible. And a lot of that occurs, you know, through our diet. So we use, you know, animals in a lot of different ways, but, you know, mostly through, um, mostly through food. And so um, I knew uh, as well that uh, most people wanted to continue to eat meat. So we know today that, you know, approximately depending on which country, you know, between 95 and 97% of the population eat animal products. Um, and that number hasn't changed for, you know, many, many years. And so we know people want to continue to eat meat, you know, as much as I or other people, you know, enjoy, um, you know, a plant-based lifestyle or, or plant-based product. The majority of people, you know, want, want to keep eating meat. And if I wanted to have an, an impact in that space, whether that be for, for animals or for um, the environment or sustainability, um, or whatever the case may be, um, I knew to have any sort of impact that I needed to provide an alternative solution for people that wanted to, to eat meat. And so coming across the technology um, uh, that is in existence and had previously really been used in life sciences and regenerative medicine um, to develop um, biological uh, methods uh, and, and, and tissue engineering from stem cells to be able to, to grow up um, uh, tissue or cell types such as, such as muscle, for example. Um, transferring that technology uh, over to uh, food products, um, I'd come across uh, a few people working on, on that idea. And so once I came across that idea, it really made a lot of sense to me. If we could, you know, create the same end products, so the same real meat products that consumers were familiar with and used to eating and wanted to continue eating, but we could do that in a, a much more, you know, ethical uh, and sustainable manner through through cultivating meat. Um, to me, that became the obvious solution to to have the impact that, that that I wanted to have. And so we know that there's so many benefits, you know, to cultivated meat um, when compared to you know, I guess traditional um, animal agriculture. Whether it comes to land use, to water use, um, obviously the involvement of animals, um, but also the other benefits as well in terms of you know being able to um, fortify the cultivated meat products because we're developing them in a, uh, a sterile environment um, and we have control over the inputs, you know, we can add in additional, you know, vitamins, minerals, you know, good fats and those sorts of things. We can limit the amount of bad fats. And so overall we can create, you know, a healthier product. And as well, which is another key driver, I guess, for the end consumer as well as taste um, is price. And so we're very confident that we'll be able to compete on price or be even cheaper than, um, traditionally farmed products. And so to me, again, if I was eating meat, if I had a choice between, you know, a, a traditionally farmed product, um, you know, at a certain price point, um, or a cultivated meat product that tasted exactly the same, the same mouthfeel, the same flavors, um, it was also cheaper. 
Um, it was better for animals. It was better for the environment. Then, like, why wouldn't you choose it? So, to me, it would become the obvious choice for the consumer. And so, um, coming across that technology, we built the company up from there, um, built a team of, of stem cell and bioprocess engineering experts um, to build a scalable solution. Uh, so we could, you know, create cultivated meat products at scale because, again, there was no point us, you know, recreating what had been done, um, you know, 10 years ago where we could create, you know, a burger in the lab for hundreds of thousands of dollars. There was no point doing that because that was not going to have any impact. And so our technology is a little bit newer. Um, we've, we've focused on commercialization from the start um, as well as, you know, a really ethical and, and mission-driven focus. But... Um, to have the impact, you know, we know it's got to be commercially viable, which means obviously the taste and, and the price point primarily and being able to produce it at scale. And so um, things have really just, just gone from there. So, yeah, we've been operating the company for, for just over three years now. Um, and as I mentioned, I've produced the pork and lamb prototypes and, um, yeah, can okay. continue to, to build it's out towards commercialization. It's interesting. Um, I want to go back to uh, uh, what you were saying earlier about kind of giving somebody the choice between uh, a cultivated meat burger, perhaps, and uh, a slaughtered meat burger. And I have, I have put this question to um, a number of people that I have met over the last few years ever since i became interested in this uh in this area i've asked people and i've been startled by the amount of people who have told me that they would rather eat the slaughtered meat burger um so you know so clearly there is uh there is um uh some sticking um you know some sticky points that are kind of changing people's behavior uh I mean, do you think that that's going to be a problem in Australia? Do you think it's going to that that people are, are going to be okay, kind of taking up cultivated meat over there? It's a, it's a great question, um, and I think it probably varies very much by geography um, and then potentially by age demographic as well. Um, so there's going to be we know that there's going to be you know, a certain percentage of people that will just never eat cultivated meat. They, they just won't be interested in it. And, and that's totally fine. Um, and we know these people are just, you know, never going to try the product. But we also know that there's a really large percentage of the population um, that lives in countries or, or areas uh, or, or geographies that, that suffers very much from, you know, food safety and security concerns and lack of access to, to protein. And they have a very different viewpoint from, you know, countries where there is large um, animal agriculture industries or, or resources to be able to support that industry and have their own um, products uh, grown in, in country. And so that's a, that's a very different equation to people uh, in both of those countries. Um, the other thing that we know is that particularly in the younger generation, they're obviously a lot more open to tech um, and change, but also tech in their food products as well. And so a lot of their purchase decisions are also uh, influenced by um, the sustainability uh, and ethics of those companies or of those products that, that they're buying. And so um, whether that's in Australia or whether that's you know elsewhere, um, I think those um those concepts hold true. And so particularly the younger generation, uh, we think will be the early adopters um, of the products. 
who are just much more open to, you know, their influence um, or, the, or the, the influence they can have through their purchasing decisions, you know, on ethics, on sustainability, on the health of the planet um, and what that looks like moving forward. And so um, Australia is a really interesting um, country. I think we're, we're second or third um, biggest meat eaters in the world per capita. And so uh, we are in a, in a, we're definitely in an interesting country to be um, introducing cultivated meat. Um, the, the, the general perception is here in Australia that we produce, you know, all of our own food um, and we do export, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, food a, as well. But we're also a net importer of many products as well and, and pork being the example of one of those. And so um, you know, not, not many people sort of realise that or understand that or know that here on, on the ground in Australia. But, you know, Australia does have a good reputation for food safety and security um, and quality. And you know, we think that opens up, you know, potential for us as well you know, into other markets for, for our cultivated meat products also. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, it's, I think it's good that, that you're looking at pork and lamb because, um, you know, these are the, you know, these are the products, um, I think, uh, um, the, the, that I personally, as a, you know, as somebody who eats, who, who eats very little meat, uh, but I do sometimes eat meat and, and that meat is usually chicken, if, if, if anything, um, but pork and lamb are two meats types that i miss because i used to really enjoy them but i just don't eat them anymore I, I just can't bring myself to do that so it's um and um so which one of those do you think is going to come to market first or 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 is it going to be both at the same time yeah that's a, it's a great question we've contemplated that um internally for, for quite a while now um at this stage, I think the, the lamb mince product will be the first product that we, that we bring to market. Um, there's a, there's a number of reasons, um, for that, but, um, uh, without going into detail, yeah, we think it'll be the lamb mince product that, that we come to market with first. Um, in Australia, uh, we have a really good, um, framework for the regulation of, of new food products or, or novel food products, which is, is what cultivated meat um, is considered um, here in Australia. Um, our regulator is Food Standards Australia and New Zealand, which obviously also covers New Zealand as well. Um, and it's around a, a 12 month process from, from beginning to, to end. So once we submit our, our formal application, it, we'll get a result in about, um, not in about, in, in 12 months um, from the time that, that we submit that application. And so we're looking to, to submit a formal um, application Ideally, by the end of this year, um, which would see us commercialising um, in Australia at least by the the end of 2024, with a view to having um, you know, products on shelves that that lamb meat product, you know, by the end of 2024, start of 2025, and so that's what we're aiming at um, at the moment with our first product here in Australia. Okay. And in Australia, um, your regulatory process is is made public. How, you know, do you, obviously you know about Vox, but, um, you know, are they kind of setting the standards, do you think? And then, you know, once they've been approved, then you're going to know more about what's required through the regulatory process. Is that, is that something you're watching closely? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting um, observation. Um, I think... The regulators have been really fantastic to, to work with up until um, uh, to this stage. They've been very consultative um, in terms of the, the process. Um, as I mentioned, we've got a 
we've got a framework in place, so nothing really needs to, to change um, here in Australia for that. Um, we just need to you know, submit our application and the regulator needs to work through um, their processes um, for, for the approval. And, and most of that is around um, the safety of, of the product. And so there's a lot of safety data and information that we need to provide you know, around that application. Um, as you mentioned, yes, there's, a, there's an application um, in at the moment. Um, from a, from a different company that's using a different technology. So there, there'll be some similarities, but there'll be um, a lot of things that, that we do differently as well. So there's not probably a whole lot that we will take out of that as a company. It'll probably be more beneficial to the regulators to, to go through that process um, and see um, uh, what I guess the, the different processes are that are used. But you know, then going through that process um, a little before they assess um, our application, we think, will actually be um, beneficial to us and, and give the regulator a bit more comfort around, um, you know, cultivated meat uh, in general and, and what they need to, you know, be looking for and be aware of and, you know, the questions that they want to ask and obviously then what they need us to, to supply for them. So, um, yeah, I think I think that might work a little bit in reverse and I think that's probably the same in in most regions and, and most um Geographies for the for the regulators there. Once they've been through the process, you know, a couple of times, I think that'll give them more comfort um, in assessing the process, and we'll provide those companies um, that are coming in behind those those companies that have gone through initially, um, maybe a little bit of an advantage in terms of you know, it being a little bit clearer for what they need to provide and um, you know how they go through that process. I seem to remember that Vox are doing quail meat, uh, so it's not really it's not really similar to what you're doing but but would you be would you be um uh launching in any other countries or or you know in tandem do you think have you looked at that yeah i don't know that we'll do um uh dual applications at the same time we we might but we're probably um more likely to do them to do them in short succession so we'll definitely focus you know on australia first um, we've obviously got, you know, our facility here, the whole team is here. Uh, we'll get um, our process and our product regulated here first and then look at other jurisdictions because there's obviously a couple of ways you could go and that would be, you know, exporting the product from your home country to another country that you have approval in or you could set up, you know, the facility in the country that you're you're looking to um, to get approval of, of, of your product in. And so um, I think we'll probably do that in succession. You know, outside of Australia, obviously the US um, is, is a huge market um, and also quite advanced in terms of the, the regulatory framework. Um, you know, Asia, China, um, you know, geographically for us um, uh, is, is close by as, as well. Uh, and then obviously everyone talks about Singapore where the first product was regulated. Um, but for our land products, we're also looking at um, the Middle East, and we know there's a number of companies, um, you know, particularly in Israel, um, working in the cultivated meat space, and, and we believe they're um, they're fairly well along uh, in terms of the uh, the regulatory framework there as well. So they're probably the regions we we look to next um, shortly after uh, establishing the process here in Australia. Yeah. So do you have any predictions about which country might be next in 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 giving approval, as you're you know as you're as you're an insider? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm an insider. I'm definitely in the industry, but look, it's 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 hard to it's hard to know in terms of countries. I think we're probably more likely to see some additional approvals um, in the US 
uh, or potentially Singapore next. Um, there's been a lot of talk, you know, as I mentioned, around you know the Middle East, um, and they obviously have a number of you know um, food safety and security issues that they're very aware of, you know, there as well. And so um, I think they're quite advanced. Um, China is a little bit more opaque um, in terms of where they're at, but we know that um, well, a lot, a lot of countries that take their lead from the FDA and, and USDA, and so. I think the you know approvals in the US will you know um, speed up the process, I guess, in those, those other jurisdictions. Um, and look, we know um, you know that the EU is is a little bit um, further behind, I guess, those, those other regions. And you know, I think we could probably say that with you know, a fair bit of a bit of certainty that um, that, that that won't be happening anytime soon. It, it's more likely to be um, you know the Middle East and, and China, or potentially more. I think most likely more approvals in the US, but um, hopefully Australia is not too far behind as well. Yeah, I mean, I was tipped Australia as being one of the next places by one of my guests. So, um, so we'll 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 see. So, um, what do you think are some of the middle? Um, so, I mean, you said that you uh, you expect to be commercial in a, in just over a year. Then, once well, at, if if you if you're putting in for approval at the end of this year, then a year later, um, you expect to be. So, at the end of twenty twenty four, start of twenty twenty five. So what's what are some of the major hurdles to that? Obviously, kind of regulatory approval and um, and kind of changing mindsets and kind of getting the right formula and all of those things. Is there any is there anything else that you see as perhaps being a a hurdle? Yeah, so I think you mentioned the you know, the, the two obvious ones are around you know product development. You know we've got to make sure that you know the product. Um, Tastes good, you know. It has a, a great um, you know, health or, or nutritional profile, um, and that consumers want to eat it. So, so that's 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 the first box that we, that we need to tick. You know, we need to tick a, a product that that's in demand. Um, that's the first, that's the first one. Uh, obviously, um, regulatory approval um, is 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 a major one because without regulatory approval, um, we can't sell any of our products. And so, you know, again. Um, we're very comfortable, you know, with that process and, and what it what it looks like, but you know, that's another tick box um, that we need to get through. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's going to be, you know, a large um, education or um, consumer awareness piece um, around um, cultivated meat, um, uh, the technology behind it, the, the process of it, um, and, and the benefits to it as well, um, to to bring the consumers along. You know, on the journey of developing um, cultivated meat products and, and getting them more familiar with it, comfortable with it, um, and and looking to, to to purchase. I think they're the they're the, they're the three main areas. Obviously, we're very comfortable with the technology, with the scalability um, of the technology. There is some capital investment um, required in terms of infrastructure um, uh, and facilities, manufacturing, distribution, and, and those sorts of things, as as they would be with you know any new food product um, that, that was coming to market. But yeah, I think the three, the three main ones, um, yeah, are the ones we mentioned. Do you think there's going to be much, um, much sort of kickback against the, uh, against the meaty uh, industry, against the, um, uh, you, you know, animal agriculture in Australia and around the world? So obviously, you know, trying to educate people uh, when, when there is, um, uh you you know there's there there are industries kind of pushing in the opposite direction is that going to be is that going to be a problem do you think i think as with 
um, any large incumbent industry, it's, it's it's fairly normal to be to be threatened by um, you know a new entrant or or a new technology or or a new way of doing things that um, you know could impact you know your business or your industry. And I don't think animal agriculture is is any different. And so. Um, from the conversations that we've had with, you know, incumbents in the industry, um, they've been very, they've been very different and they've probably changed over time. So, you know, if we're talking, you know, three or four years ago, um, most people still thought this was never going to happen. You know, cultivated meat was not an industry and these products would, would never come to fruition. But, um, I think we've, I think we've moved well past that where, um, everyone can see now that, you know, the technology is already there. The products are being created. Um, they're going to be, you know, widespread on the market you know, in, in the short to, to medium term. And so I think that's changed the perception, particularly, well, in general, but particularly, um, you know, with the existing industry, um, you know, if we think about traditional animal agriculture. And now I think there's, there's two approaches. There's those who, who see it as a, a threat and, um, you know, might say or do things to, you know, discredit or, or downplay the technology or the products that we're using. And then there's others who see it as an opportunity um, and have engaged with us, you know, in conversations around, okay, well, um, is there a way we can adopt this in our business? Can can we incorporate this technology in what you're doing in our business and in our way of doing things? Because, you know, um, as, we've, as we've quite clearly um, demonstrated, there's, there's a lot of, um, benefits to cultivated meat around, you know, sustainability um, and resource use, but but also on price point as well. And so, you know, these companies that are operating, you know, traditional animal agriculture businesses um, are really in it um, as a as a profit generating um, entity. And so, they're interested in the commercials. And if they can produce, you know, the same product for the consumer uh, with a much larger margin. Um, then of course they should be interested you know, in, in that technology and being able to utilize it. And so I think the ones that are, that are open to it, um, and, and are open to, um, you know, adopting the technology, uh, incorporating the technology, um, uh, or, uh, looking at, you know, partnering with companies that are, that are doing that or doing that in-house themselves or exploring those opportunities, I think are going to be, you know, the best place moving forward. And there's going to be others, obviously, that just, um, you know, want to put the barriers up and, and do everything they can to, you know, stop stop um, that technology being adopted or the cultivated meat industry flourishing. So there's going to be there's going to be both sides of, of the fence. Um, but as we've seen with other technologies and, and technology in general, technology never goes backwards. Never in the history of time has has technology gone backwards. Um, so it, it, it's coming, um, and we'll just see how the incumbents adopt to that. Yeah, I mean, it really goes, but or as you say, it never goes backwards, but it can be, it can be severely slowed down, I suppose, can't it? And and you as a you as a vegan, you will understand that there is that there is, um, you know, uh, I mean, a member of my family, he uh, uh, told me if, uh, about a month ago that he had read somewhere on on Facebook that kind of veganism is bad for the planet. So it's you know there is there is going to be some un, unusual news out there, but it, it is it is a very exciting industry, and I'm very excited about it for all of the reasons you've mentioned. Um, so um, I wish you the best of luck with it, uh, um, and uh, yeah, 
Thank you, Alex. Uh, I appreciate that. We've, we've certainly got um, a number of challenges uh, ahead, but I guess within the industry, we're all very um, excited about where we've come in, in the previous you know, 10 years, um, speaking as an industry, three years you know, as, as a company. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to bringing as many cultivated meat products to the market you know, across the globe. Yes. Well, I look forward to I look forward to tasting some. I still haven't yet, but I, you know, I'm 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 excited to do that. Um, and thank you for coming on and talking to me and us, Paul. And um, you can you can uh, and you can you can sign off now. <laughs> no worries, Alex. Thanks so much. And you're welcome to come down to Australia anytime you like. We're happily bring you in some tasting. I'd love to. I'd love to do that. <laughs>